Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. All right, everybody, good morning and welcome. I'm Pastor Chris. Hey, welcome to those of you who are tuning in online. As always, thank you for joining us and engaging. And uh, thank all of you for joining us uh, here uh, this morning. Good to see everybody. We did have a great, great Sunday last week for Life Group Sunday. Man, the energy uh, in the room, in the building, uh, was just Palpable. It was very exciting, and I can't wait for groups uh, to get started. Uh, last week, as Scott said, we, uh, we kicked off this series on uh, the names of God. And uh, we're gonna be looking at um, a number of Hebrew names in the Bible through which God has personally revealed himself to you and me. And today we're gonna start with the very first name that's found in the very first verse of the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse one. Uh, it is the name Elohim. Now, I'm gonna read this morning from Genesis one, one through five, and as I read through this passage, I'm going to insert the, the Hebrew name that's used here for God, Elohim. So follow along as I read Genesis one, one through five. In the beginning... Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the waters. And Elohim said, let there be light and there was light. Elohim saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Elohim called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, uh, this is the very first name uh, for God that is used more than 2,500 times in the Bible. Uh, it actually shows up 32 times in the very first chapter of Genesis alone. It is the most common Old Testament word that is translated God. It is also unique uh, to the Jewish people in that it only occurs in the Hebrew language. It isn't found in any other ancient language. And so it was to his people that God revealed himself as Elohim. Now, at its root is a word that means mighty, strong, powerful. And uh, the emphasis is pointing to the creative nature, the creative power and preeminence of God. For example, it's used in Genesis, Genesis 24, 3, referring to God as the Lord of heaven and earth. Uh, Isaiah 37, 16, Lord Almighty, the Elohim of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are Elohim over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So this particular name speaks to the fact that God is the all-powerful, eternal creator God. And that certainly comes through loud and clear uh, through the first chapter of Genesis. So today, uh, we're gonna keep it simple. Um, I want us to unpack two foundational truths significant to this particular name, Elohim. And then we're gonna make some application as to how those truths apply to our everyday lives, to your life and to mine. Okay, number one, if you're taking notes, Elohim is the eternal God, the eternal God. Now, the origin of the universe 
is a long-standing challenge for philosophers and scientists and centuries of uh, investigation, speculation, comparing notes and theories really hasn't brought anybody closer to a solution. In fact, every time a consensus seems to be developing about a particular theory, uh, somebody comes up with evidence that either disproves it or makes it a little bit less plausible. So look again with me at the first four words of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. I, I want you to notice that the Bible opens with this simple declaration that God exists, that he is, that he always has been, and he always will be. He has no beginning and he has no end. Deuteronomy 33, 27 calls him uh, the eternal God. Jeremiah 10, 10 echoes that same truth. Listen to this. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. Um, I'll give you one more from the New Testament. I love this one. 1 Timothy 1, 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Uh, Augustine reportedly was once asked uh, what God was doing. You know, what was he up to before he created the world? And he thought for a moment and he said he was creating it for people like you who ask questions like that. Now, you know, we giggle a little bit at that, but it's interesting that Genesis 1 seems to be more concerned with God the creator than with the time or details of his existence. It just simply opens with a straightforward declaration that Elohim exists. But it doesn't provide any additional explanation. It just simply recognizes that he is. You know, years ago, um, in his unforgettable style, African-American pastor E.V. Hill from another generation uh, spoke at a Promise Keepers, uh, Promise Keepers men's uh, event uh, in Chicago. And basically, he preached on two words. God is. God is. And, and he repeated that phrase over and over and over again, whispering it, shouting it, and almost daring anybody to deny it. And he kept repeating it and repeating it until close to the 50,000 50, men that were there were shouting it with him. God is, God is. So let me ask you a question. If God is, then what's the significance of that? Well, it means everything. It means everything. I mean, if God is, then bad can be made good. If God is, then sin can be atoned for. Chaos can be brought to order. If God is, there is hope for the hopeless. If God is, there is help for the helpless. If God is, then everything, everything in life has meaning and purpose. If God is, then all of life is sacred and precious. But if God isn't, we're in big trouble. You know, it reminds me of uh, the, the old story of a little boy who once prayed, uh, dear God, please take care of daddy, my mommy, my sister, uh, my brother, my doggy, and me. Oh, and please take care of yourself, God, because if anything happens to you, we're in big trouble. And um, God is. 
He is eternal. Aren't you glad that nothing will ever happen to the Holy One? He is here today. He was there yesterday. And he will be there tomorrow and forever. In other words, he was, he is, and he will always be. And you can count on that. And the Bible says that only the foolish refuse to believe that. Psalm 14, one, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So Elohim is introduced to us in Genesis as the eternal God. Number two, Elohim is the creator God. The creator God. Look at the rest of Genesis 1.1. What did Elohim claim to do? In the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how did he do it? How did he do that? Well, perhaps the best explanation that we have uh, on Genesis 1 is the one from God himself in God's word, okay? In Hebrews 11.3, I love this. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed, how? At God's command. In the King James Version, it says that the worlds were framed by the, the word of God. In other words, that God, God spoke and they came into being. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Wow. Wow. So very simple and yet so very profound. Added to that, listen to Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And then in verse nine, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He simply spoke and the world was formed. Creation came into being out of nothing. You know, go back to Genesis 1. Look at a few of the more phrase, few, few more phrases that are found there in that first chapter. Verse 7, uh, God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heaven. The end of verse 16, he also made the stars. Verse 21, so God created great sea creatures. Verse 25, God made all sorts of wild animals. And then in verse 31, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. You know, it's no accident that the very first thing that creator God wanted us to know about himself is that he is the creator. Again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not an um, ambiguous statement, is it? You know, it, it's not unclear. Um, it's not a, a statement that really needs any explanation at all. It is so simple and so clear and so unmistakable that even a small child can understand it. And yet, it's also so incredibly profound. 19th century philosopher Herbert Spencer is credited with discovering what he called the five manifestations of what can be known. Uh, and what he meant by that is that all reality, everything that exists, fits into one of five categories, okay? Time, force, action, space, and matter. Time, force, action, space, and matter. And he contended that nothing in the physical world exists outside of one of those five categories. Now, to, 
To us, that might seem a little elementary, but you know, it was hailed as a great discovery in the late 1800s. And, and Spencer even listed them in that order. Now, with those categories in mind, I want you to listen again to Genesis 1.1, okay? In the beginning, that's time, God, that's force, created, that's action, the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. Right, I mean, in, in the very first verse of the Bible, God stated plainly what man couldn't catalog until the 19th century. Again, everything that could be said about everything that exists is said in that first verse. Now, the bottom line is, we either believe that or we don't. Those are the options. We can accept what Genesis says or we can Reject it. What we don't get to do is tweak it, alter it, change it. We don't have that privilege. We don't, we don't get to edit God. You say, but Pastor Chris, you know, what about science? Listen, I love science. I actually believe that within the framework of Genesis chapter one, there are explanations for what we see in science today. That's a whole other discussion. And I'd love to have that with any, anybody. But the Bible, listen to this, was not written with the intention of being a scientific textbook, it wasn't. It was written as a, as a theological narrative to reveal God to creation, to reveal the God of creation to mankind. Genesis, for example, is far more concerned with the questions of who made creation, how he made creation, and why, you know, than when he did. You know, therefore, as, uh, as Galileo once said, the Holy Ghost intended to teach us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. But what's especially encouraging to me is that many people in the scientific community today are finally discovering what believers have known for a long time, and that's that Darwinian evolution is an antiquated theory that really doesn't hold much water. The late Robert uh, Jastrow, Dr. Robert Jastrow, who was an astrophysicist, director of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, wrote this. Now we see how the astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of the origin of the world. The essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are really the same. Consider the enormousness of the problem. Science has proved that the universe exploded into being at a certain moment. It asked what cause produced this effect? Who or what put the matter and energy into the universe? And science cannot answer these questions. Now you press a humanistic evolutionist on how you know, the Big Bang Theory took place and he will say, well, there was a chemical reaction involving a flash of energy. Okay, sure. Where did the energy come from? Science doesn't have an answer for that. So now some people will say, well, the energy is eternal. Okay, so we have an eternal energy instead of an eternal creator God. And that's the crux of the matter right there. That's it. You know, unsaved man will go to any length possible to eliminate the God of creation and the God of the Bible because if that's true, then he says some sweeping things about you and me. Paul explained it this way to the Romans in Romans 1, 18 and 20. 
He said, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. You know, on Christmas Eve, 1968, the three astronauts of the Apollo 8 circled the dark side of the moon and headed for home. And as that tiny capsule floated through space, they gazed on planet Earth. Do you remember what they said? They didn't quote Einstein or Shakespeare or Darwin. There was only one, one statement that could capture the magnificence of that moment. As billions of people all around the world listened, an astronaut acknowledged Elohim as creator. And he read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Don't you see? His fingerprints, they're everywhere. The earth is marked, if you will, by a sign with bold letters that declares made by God. And if you're willing to look, you'll see. Now, Because he is our eternal creator. He is greater than anything and everything. And that means that he can be trusted. Because there is nothing in your life that's greater than he is. But it also has some other implications as well. And I want to hit on just a few of those. Look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. Humans, both male and female, you and me, have been created in the image of God. Now, is that significant? Is that important? Does it matter? And if so, why, how? Well, it is supremely important. You know, you look back at verse 27 there and you notice that the word created is used three times in that very short verse. And twice, twice we're told that humans, again, both male and female, have been created in the image of our holy creator. You know, in this this age of gender confusion, gender fluidity, gender self-identification, The Bible clearly states, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Listen, the 
the creation, okay? You and me. We don't get to usurp the creator. And Elohim, the eternal creator God, he did not make a mistake when he created you. Male or female. In fact, listen to me. Because every human being has been made in the image of God, that means that we regard every life to be sacred and beautiful and that every person has value and worth and purpose. He loves you. He loves you. And he created you for a, for a purpose. And he has a plan for your life. Listen to this, every person, every life, even at every stage of their development, including those in the womb, have value, worth, and purpose. Psalm 139 gave us this beautiful, vivid picture thousands of years before technology. And I wanna read it to you today out of the New Living Translation. I want you to listen to its clarity. Verses 13 through 16. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. King David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was allowed to take a peek into God's prenatal care unit. Now, does that leave any doubt as to whether or not God recognizes personhood in the womb? I don't think so. He saw us and he knew us before we were born. He actually said that about Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Again, listen to me. The, the ramifications of that are staggering. All life is sacred. And every person has value, worth, and purpose. But not just the lives of the preborn. Listen to Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. It tells us that we are to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. You know what? That also includes then orphans and widows and physically and mentally and emotionally challenged, those people who are in prison, the homeless, the hungry, the poor, the rights of those who are destitute. Now, I realize that some of you might be sitting here today watching online and you're thinking to yourself, goodness, Pastor Chris, directly or indirectly, you've now addressed evolution, gender issues, and abortion. <laughs> you know, not exactly very PC of you, PC. <laughs> and you're right. I'm not politically correct. You know, that's not my purpose. That's not my goal. 
And listen, I understand that these are some of the most divisive and polarizing social issues of our time. And people uh, on both sides of these and other issues have very, very strong convictions, very strong emotions. I totally get that. But Coastal, I just want you to listen to my heart today. We are supposed to be a people who have chosen to submit themselves to the authority and the truth of God's word, period. Now, many people today hesitate to speak up or speak out about, you know, a particular issue because they think, well, you know, don't say anything about that because that's too political. Listen, I'll just be honest with you. I really don't see it that way. These are, these are, these and others, these are biblical issues. Now, now, what does matter though, okay? And I wanna be crystal clear on this today. What does matter is how we speak out and how we speak up. You see, our response always as a church and as individuals has got to be one of both truth and love. Truth and grace. You see, Jesus, the Bible says, was full of both, truth and grace. So we should be too. Because a church without grace and love is just a bunch of finger-pointing, placard-wearing, self-righteous, people-hating Pharisees. But a church without truth is a powerless, relativistic self-help group that negates the very reason for which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross for your sin and for mine. And so at Coastal, you're gonna find both. Truth and grace. Now, let me ask you a question. Can we be loving and accepting without agreeing with someone else's opinions, decisions, or even always approving of their choices or behavior? I think we can. Now let me tell you something, it's messy, but I think we can. I think love and grace and relationships pave the way for truth and influence. And even if we ever run the risk of looking like, you know, we approve of a lifestyle or a decision, you know what? It's always worth the risk. Now, how do I know that? Because Jesus took the risk for you. Jesus took that risk for you, for me. Don't you see, if... If we truly believe that Elohim is the eternal creator God who always existed, who made everything and everyone, that means then that you and I never look into the eyes of another human being who wasn't also created in God's image and who doesn't also matter to God just as much as you do. That's what I mean by acceptance. You see, we can love and accept people 
without agreeing with them, without approving of their choices. If you're a parent, you understand how to do that, right? You always agree with everything your kids do or say, but you love them. You see, at Coastal, we are called to love people. Love people. All people. All people. And you know what? We're all sinners in need of a savior. And here's the good news. One has been provided. And it's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. And so our job as a church, both collectively and individually then, is to do what? It's to point people to Jesus. It's to lift up Jesus and then allow him and the truth of his word and the Holy Spirit to do the changing. You know what? We're all just a colossal collection of fellow sinners, fellow strugglers that have all been saved by the grace of God. And so may God, may Elohim, creator, eternal God, have mercy on us and forgive us for getting angry with the very people who were created in his image and who happen to matter just as much as we do and who just happen to sin differently than we do. Now, you ready for the really good news? Not only does Elohim create life, but he also recreates it. See, guys, again, we've all been created in the image of God. We all have. We all have worth and value. But sin, our sin, our choices, it has marred that image of God in our lives, and it's caused us to be separated from God, from the very God who loves us and wants a relationship with us. In fact, let me tell you something else about our creator God. This is so awesome. He loves to do that. He loves to forgive. He loves to recreate. He loves to wipe away guilt and shame. Psalm 51, listen to this. Have mercy on me, O God. By the way, that right there, that's the Hebrew word for Elohim. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What's the next word? Create. Create in me a pure heart, O Elohim, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, you ready for this? How does he do that? How does that happen? Well, listen again to his promise in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? I love this. He is a what? A new creation. He's been made brand new. The old is gone and the new has come. He is the eternal creator God. And he loves you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so this morning, I just wanna, I wanna encourage you, I wanna challenge you to let the creator God, Elohim, make you brand new in Jesus Christ. In Christ. 
And that happens through faith. It happens through, through faith by admitting your sin and pouring your heart out to a loving God who wants to forgive you, who wants to wash away your sin, to blot out your transgression and to give you a new heart. Will you do that today? You can right here and right now. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word. I thank you for revealing yourself to us in a personal way as Elohim, the eternal one, the creator. Father, you have made the heavens and the earth and everything in it. You created mankind in your image, both male and female. And it is your desire to have a relationship with us. Father, today we, we just humbly admit that it was our sin, our choices that got in the way of that. But in Christ, in Christ, you recreate us and we become brand new. And I just thank you for that, God. Thank you for Jesus. And listen, if you are here today and you are ready to come home, you're ready to be made brand new, you're ready to place your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Our loving Elohim is waiting with, with open arms, ready to receive you. And if you'll just take that one step of faith, he will run to you and make up all the distance. No matter what it is that's happening in your life, no matter what you've done or where you've been, listen, he loves you and he's ready to forgive you and to recreate you. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I do believe. I believe that, that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he went to the cross to pay for me and my sin. My sin put him on that cross. But God, as much as I know how, as much as I understand, by faith, I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. He is eternal. And I believe that today. And today I ask Jesus to come into my life to forgive me of my sin and to make me brand new. And I declare that he is my savior and my forever Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.